So let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. The Torah portion this week, Deuteronomy 32, Ha Zinu, give ear, listen up, is filled with stern warning. It is one of the last things that Moses has to say to the children of Israel as he is preparing for them to go into the land without him. He himself will die. He will be buried on this side, not on the other side of the Jordan. And when you read his message, it has two major themes. The first message is God is absolutely faithful. He is perfect, he's righteous, he's holy, he's just, he's good. And this is coming from a man who's been told, you're not going into the land and you are not holy like I am. You're not perfect the way I am. I love you, but. And it would be normal for us as humans to feel rejected in such a situation, to feel abandoned. But Moses proclaims the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord to everyone because he knows it's true. He knows this about the Lord. And he contrasts, and this is the second theme, the faithfulness of God with the unfaithfulness of people. He's contrasting God's perfection with Israel's fickleness. And he gives a prophetic warning that for many people is very hard to hear. At the end of the warnings that he gives, he explains the purpose of the warnings. It's really important that we get the purpose of prophetic warnings and we understand them, that we understand the purpose of negative prophecy. Let's read Deuteronomy 32, starting in verse 45. And for some of you, this may challenge previously held ideas about prophecy and how to understand it. Or maybe you haven't given thought to it. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all of Israel, remember, they're basically saying, God is good and you're not. And you will fail the Lord. He said to them, take to heart all the words of my testimony against you today, so that. This is really important. Whenever you read the phrase, so that, it explains to you the purpose. Here's why. You see, the, the prophecy of this type is not a prediction of the future, it's a warning to people. Let's read. So that you can use them. Isn't that important? You can use them in charging your children to be careful to obey all the words of the Torah. For this is not a trivial matter for you. On the contrary, it is your life. Through it, you will live long in the land you're crossing the Jordan to possess. So this is given in such a way that it's meant to touch the minds and the hearts of the people. Moses is using the power of words, he's using the power of language, and he wants to connect to the imagination 
of the children of Israel, that they could begin to think about things and see things. Now, I can compare it to this. My mother would often warn us when we were running with sticks or sword fighting with sticks, and she would say, you will poke your eye out. Every time we didn't poke our eye out or our friend's eye out, we just thought, okay, she's exaggerating. <laughs> you know, she's nervous. We are soldiers in sword fights. We are throwing spears. We are having a good time, and she's just against us having a good time. How many guys were raised by someone who gave such warnings? Yes. And I don't know if you were like me, but I did not really heed those warnings. Well, my mother had another warning. It was, you cannot play with fireworks, firecrackers. And she would not let us buy firecrackers for July 4th. She did not think to say, you cannot play with people who do buy firecrackers. <laughs> so according to the letter of the law, <laughs> and she knew nothing about M80s. <laughs> but there are several mailboxes in our neighborhood that learn just how powerful M80s are. <laughs> well, I remember thinking, okay, I can't, I can't use firecrackers, but there's something relatively benign, sparklers. Right. I mean, Right, sparklers, you know. They don't make any booms. You, you light them, you hold them, and it's like, you know, little sparkles of fiery light coming out of them. How many have ever used sparklers? You know what I'm talking about, okay. If you haven't, ask one of these people. They can, <laughs> they can tell you. And so I got my hands on some sparklers, and for... July 4th, I was lighting sparklers. So I get the sparkler and I light the top of it and really, what can happen? You know, because my mother would say, if you have firecrackers, you could blow your fingers off. You know, you could explode something that could get in your eye. And I thought, it's a sparkler. What could happen? And so I light this sparkler. And what sparklers are supposed to do is just start sparkling. But what this one did was unexpected. The top of it, instead of just burning brightly and nicely, became a projectile. Yeah, yeah. And just, it fell, this burning, glowing, hot, I don't even know what sparklers are made of, but it was burning, and this top of the sparkler fell right on this thumb. Yeah, where it began to sizzle. 
And have you ever tried to uh, stop something burning by blowing on it? I have. <laughs> and that just adds more oxygen to the process. And I was trying to shake it off, but it wasn't working. It was just burning into my thumb. Yeah. And it burned a pretty good sized divot. Yeah, it was like barbecued David. And I gotta tell you, it hurt. But here's the next part of the problem. I have to explain this. And I'm a 12 year old having to explain this and to tell my mother, I don't know how this happened. <laughs> I woke up and there was a wound. No, I, <laughs> I came clean, I told the truth. but I really suffered, it hurt, it really hurt. This is what's going on with Moses. Moses is trying to give a warning to people who need a warning, but aren't necessarily ready for the warning because they're thinking, <laughs> what could go wrong? And I can tell you up to that point, I thought nothing could go wrong with a sparkler. But here I am, I'm 64 years old now, and I didn't learn from the warning. I mean, you get that, obviously. <laughs> but after the experience of the thing I was warned about, it's now deep in my mind. I don't even wanna play with sparklers anymore. <laughs> because now, in my imagination, I'm thinking, I'm the kind of person who would light a sparkler, everyone else is having a good time, and my sparkler would like shoot to my forehead. <laughs> and I would have like, I didn't learn from the warning. Do you get that? I wasn't open. Because I had heard other warnings and they didn't happen. You know, what, what my mother was concerned about us poking each other's eyes out. I mean, we never did that, and we all wore glasses anyway. <laughs> we had shields on. But what I couldn't learn from the warning, I did learn from the experience of the thing when it went wrong. Prior to that, my imagination was telling me nothing can go wrong. Well, the things that could go wrong, we had already prepared for. We'd learn how to use M80s effectively. <laughs> Do y'all know what those are? Yeah, they're like children's dynamite. <laughs> I forget how many M80s equals one stick of dynamite. Is it four? Yeah, yeah, four. Okay, so what are 12-year-olds doing with a quarter of a stick of dynamite? Well, I'll tell you. We understood that we could get uh, M80s with waterproof fuses. Right, right? Yeah, no, we didn't go fishing. No, we were engaged in scientific analysis. <laughs> so our, 
our friend Chip Dyerly had a swimming pool in his backyard behind his house. And we did an experiment. What would happen when? So we'd light an M80, drop it in the swimming pool, and for sure the fuse works in the water. And, and then, ba-boom! And we're all amused. We didn't count on one thing, that Chip's elderly grandfather was in the basement. And though he was deaf, <laughs> he felt the shaking, ran up from the basement, And the things he said to us, we'll never forget. (laughs) But it was in the name of science, you know, so. (laughs) Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. He's trying to give them a warning. He's telling them there are things that could happen that you don't think can happen. There are unforeseen consequences, there are negatives that you are not even imagining. I'm gonna tell you what they are so that they get in your mind. But the only way you can receive them is if they're in your heart. Now once they're in your heart, then you've got them for yourself. Right now, I'm not playing with M80s anymore. Or with people that do. Aaron told me he's given some, some boys a pocket knife and he sharpened the knife, the blade, really well. And that way when they cut themselves, they won't feel it at first. <laughs> you, you, have you, you felt something, yeah. Uh, maybe not sharp enough, Cantor. <laughs> no. Yeah, you do feel it after your heart beats a few times. It's like, hmm, I feel my pulse coming out of my fingers. (laughs) It's an instruction to be careful. Once we experience what others tried to warn us of, that we thought, ah, once we experience it, we either become hardened or we become soft. And this is one of the themes of Yom Kippur. Isaiah 57 puts it this way. Thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in the high and holy place, but also with the broken and the humble, in order to revive the spirit of the humble and revive the hearts of the broken ones. You see, the Lord knows that we all have a way of pushing back against the warnings that God gives us, against the cautions. And then when we experience the consequences, it can soften us. And the Lord says, I am in heaven, and I am perfectly holy, but I come down to be with people who respond to life with humility and brokenness. And then he says, I'll revive them. Verse 16, for I'll not fight them forever, or always nurse my anger, otherwise their spirits would faint before me, the creatures I myself have made. It was because of their flagrant greed that I was angry, and I struck them. I hid myself, 
and I was angry, but they continued on their rebellious way. I've seen their ways, and I will heal them. And I can look at my thumb and say, it's pretty much healed now, 52 years later, except for the scar, or souvenir, as I like to say. The Lord says, I will lead them and give comfort to them and those who mourn for them. I will create the right words, shalom, shalom, to those far off and to those nearby, says the Lord, I will heal them. You see, this is the promise of of Yom Kippur. It's the promise that if we take to heart what God is speaking to us about and cautioning us, then it will become useful to us and useful to others who we can instruct. The reason Moses is giving these warnings to Israel is not to say, this is what's going to happen, but rather, this is what you will experience when you go into the land. It's not gonna be easy. You're gonna be seduced. You're gonna be drawn away. You're going to experience temptations that pull you away from me and don't think you aren't. And you'll fall when that happens. That's Moses' word. It's not because he's cynical. It's because he understands the purpose of such a warning and such prophecy. Jonah didn't quite get the purpose of negative prophecy. Do you remember the Lord gave him a word? Go to Nineveh. It's like his response was, you go to Nineveh. I'd rather be eaten by a fish. Okay. When when Jonah gets to Nineveh, he speaks this word, which is a word, it's a negative prophecy. This is what's going to happen in three days. Jonah did not understand the purpose of negative prophecy. He thought these matters were sealed in heaven, and so he was predicting the future. That's not what he was doing. He didn't realize he was giving a warning. And then, sure enough, The Ninevites received the warning. They humbled themselves before God, and God spared them. But because Jonah did not have the heart, he wasn't happy. He thought, well, what did I go through all this for? And then he's complaining. Remember, his uh, vine is withering or something in the heat, and he's all weepy about that. And the Lord says, what is your value system? You care more about your plant than you do about the people. What is wrong? It's an awesome, awesome confrontation. Moses has the right attitude. Jonah had the wrong attitude. But in both cases, the Lord is showing the purpose of negative prophecy. It's not to be cynical. It's not to uh, dispirit people. It's to warn, to caution for a purpose so that people can take things seriously that they might not otherwise. Now, my father taught me something. Maybe your father taught you this. Hope for the best, plan for the worst. Keep an optimistic view about what could happen, but plan for the difficulties that you will encounter. 
plan for the worst and be ready to deal with those. There's power in facing the downsides and the negatives and the troubles. Wanting the best, but facing what can go wrong. Now for some people, this goes against their theology, their training, even their personality, because they think, if I don't make a positive confession, I am not faithful to God. If I don't speak positively, then I'm not being faithful. It reminds me of the anecdote about the guy. He really wasn't serious with God in any way, but he went to a big crusade. And somebody at the crusade was speaking and said, if you'll just come right down here and raise your hand, you won't go to hell. And he thought, sure, great. So he comes down, he raises his hand, and he has this idea he's not going to hell anymore. He doesn't change. He doesn't take God seriously. In fact, he leaves a reprobate life, as he had been. And then sure enough, he dies. And he wakes up not where he expected to be. And he looks around, he remembers all that good theology people taught him that day, and so he makes this confession. It's not hot, and I'm not here. (laughs) And it changed nothing, of course. Wanting the best, but facing what can go wrong is really important. Yeshua taught this, and I want to close by looking at Luke chapter 14, verse 25 through 33. Large crowds were traveling with Yeshua, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And you know what the reaction of his disciples was. It's like, Someone should give this guy a PR lesson. This is not how you build a ministry. And then he went on, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And I can can imagine, because we have some evidence in the scriptures, that the disciples heard those kinds of things and talked to each other like, you know, this is bad. This is not going to help people come. It's too tough. It's just wrong. He shouldn't talk like this. And they even, I think, would nominate, you know, like, let him go and tell Yeshua. But no matter what they said to Yeshua, he kept talking like this. And in a sense, it was hyperbole to make a point. He talked in an extreme way. He didn't soften it the way some translators, you must love less your father and mother. He just said it, hate, which was provocative. That was the whole point. That is the point of hyperbole, is to get past the superficialities and past the, the, the walls we put up and get right to the heart so that someone can respond who otherwise wouldn't. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then Yeshua went on, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? 
For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build, but wasn't able to finish. Yeshua says, you understand this, right? You'll be ridiculed if you start, but you don't finish with me. Yeshua was not so interested in getting lots of people. He was interested in retaining the people who came. He wanted them to survive. He wanted them to hope for the best, but plan for the worst. He wanted them to count the cost seriously and to make themselves ready so that they could get through the fray. That's exactly the Moses motivation, exactly the same. That was what my mother was hoping for, that I just survive my adolescence. In the military, they have a discipline for planning. They use what's called a red team. The blue team makes the plans, and the red team works to undermine the plans, to find the weaknesses in the plans, hacks their email their servers, sends out fake messages when necessary, does everything to find what's wrong with the plan, where it can go wrong, because people fall in love with their plans. And people think, oh, it's gonna, it's gonna work. And everybody thinks this way, we figured it out, and you need people who think differently than you checking things. Not to dispirit you or discourage you, but to equip you. That's what Moses is doing. Think about this, you're going into a very dangerous situation. You wanna survive, you want your kids to survive. That's what Yeshua is saying. And then verse 31, Yeshua goes on, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king, won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. The people whose hearts were open were understanding the nature of Yeshua's language. He wants everything. He really wants my whole heart, my mind, my soul, my intellect my willpower, my, my personality, my temperament. He wants all of me because he loves me. Nothing less will satisfy him. That's what he's saying to his disciples. People whose hearts were open got it, and people whose hearts were not open just walked away. Do you remember the guy who came? The rich young man came to Yeshua. What do I need to do? Yeshua said, well, I'll tell you what you should do. Sell everything you've got. Give it to the poor. And the guy thought, I got a lot. And then I'll be poor. Yeshua gave him that word so that he could count the cost. And the, the young man just walked away. And Yeshua let him walk away. He didn't give him a sales job, you know, like, come on, you know, it's gonna really work out, I'm just, I'm just playing with you. I just wanted to see what your reaction was. 
No, he doesn't give him any out. He lets each person bear responsibility. But this is the beauty of the Lord, from Moses to the prophets to Yeshua to the apostles. They give us clarity about the things that we may not be thinking about. They help us prepare for the downside, to look at the negatives, not because they are negative, but because I understand life is tough. Our hope really is that people will be so dedicated to the Lord that they'll make it through all the tough times. One of the dangers of many eschatologies is that they encourage people to just give up on getting strong and hope for an escape instead. And that's just, I think, an ungodly way of teaching people and preparing people. We want to prepare people, right? And I would rather go through tough times with people who are tough than go through tough times with people who give up. And when I say tough, I mean tender-hearted. I mean loving the truth. I mean caring about other people, but able to hold on to those things in the midst of difficulty. That's the kind of people I want to go through hard times with. How about you? And I want to be that kind of person. I don't want to depend on people who, who have decided to be undependable. I want to depend on people who want to be tough too and strong with God, who want to be like Yeshua and take his word seriously and say, you know what? In the end, I want to be standing. I don't want to be cannon fodder. Well, I serve the Lord, I'm dead. Nah, I like what Paul said in Ephesians. You know, stand and after the battle, remain standing. That's what, I would like to be in that condition. How about you? Yeah. And so this whole idea of negative prophecy is very important to us. If we understand it correctly, we can read Moses correctly. We can read the prophets correctly. We can read Yeshua correctly. And then we can assemble a personal ethic that says, I'm going to be strong. What does it take to get strong? I will do what it takes to get strong. That's my hope and prayer for us, that we won't complete these days of awe, which we have now completed, and think, okay, whew, now I got 355 more days where I can just do what I want, and there's no risk. I want to think these are dangerous times, and they always are dangerous times. We live in a dangerous world. We are vulnerable to temptations. What temptations? The temptations that are common. As long as we recognize that, we can prepare. If we think we're not vulnerable, you know what? We'll be the first to fall. Better to take Moses and Yeshua seriously. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your mercies to us and your faithfulness to us. We want to be merciful and faithful as well. And we pray that you would fortify us with strength, with the love of the truth and a love of your mercy, with the love of your holiness, a love of your goodness a love of your kindness and your covenantal faithfulness, that we could stand and remain standing, that those who we raise up and those who we love would not only go through the difficulties, but they would come through without even any harm to themselves, that they would 
do more than survive. They would thrive even in difficult times. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing, and then please join us next door for our wonderful Oneg. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom. See you next door.